Now, I just want to start off this morning. We're, we're, we're starting this morning talking about anger and overcoming anger. Now, if you're here this morning thinking, okay, well, I just want to hear, just give me the quick fix. Give me the pill that's going to just get rid of my anger. You're, you're going to be disappointed. In fact, you might even be a little bit angry, um, <laughs> frustrated, right? Or if you're thinking, okay, give me the, I know it's not going to be a quick fix, but give me, give me the five, the, the seven, the, the even 12 steps. To beat this thing and, and yeah, just give me, give me the 12 steps, I'll go home and I'll start check it off and then I'll be done. If, you know, if that's what you're anticipating, again, you're going to be disappointed. Um, because anger is something that is not easily overcome. Okay, so why am I starting this, this sermon on anger, overcoming anger by saying it's not going to be easy? Because it's true, because every single one of us are experts at anger. And we've been practicing it since we were born. Okay, now, hear me. We, we we see these little babies, right? They're they're so innocent and they're so sweet. Psalm fifty one tells us that we are we are born in iniquity. We are born sinners. Okay, the Bible tells us that we we are all sinners. We're born that way. Okay, there's 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 a disease in our heart that's called sin. And this is what we're born with. But we look at these little babies and say, well, they're so cute and they're so innocent. But at the same time, if you think about a newborn baby, you know, all they need is is some milk. You know, a clean diaper and a place to sleep. They don't, they don't need much. Okay, but you know that if they don't get their milk when they want to get it, limbs start to wail, legs are kicking, cries are going out. Okay, they can't quite, there's no tears at that point really early in their life, but they are just screaming and wailing, demanding for you to meet their needs. Okay? And even as those kids get older, and you can imagine a, a, a young infant, even before they can speak, you can tell when they want something, they'll, they'll be grabbing on you, pulling on you, pointing, crying, throwing a tantrum. They want it. And even if it's dangerous, they don't care. They're going to have a fit of anger, a, a tantrum, to try to get what they want, want, getting their elders to submit to them. And they're indignant when their parents do not submit with them. So they carry out their anger with a fit of tears. And tantruming. The kids have no re- recognition at that age that parents are wiser than they. And they're not going to give them things that are dangerous. And they're going to care for them. They're going to give them the food and the sleep and the changing that they need. That they have their best um, their best in their mind. Love and care for them. Augustine, who lived in the late 300s and early 400s, said this. He says the weakness, considering this fact about a, a child's tantrums, even before they turn one, he goes, the weakness then of an infant's limbs, not its will, is its innocence. Okay, the weakness of an infant's limbs, not its will, is its innocence. That is, the children are innocent because they can't really do much at that age. But you can imagine if a, if a newborn baby had a 30-year-old body, the damage they could do when their parents say no to a certain toy or a certain item. So their innocence is found in their weakness, not its will. And so the, the fact is that all of us, even from when time we were born, have been practicing anger. An anger to assert our desires and to get what we want. And that's why there's no quick fix forthcoming. We are excellent practitioners. And we do not grow out of those fits of rage or those tantrums. Uh, we just mature a little bit. We just learn to express it in different ways. Okay, we, we know it would be silly if you went in front of your spouse and you fell on the floor and waved your arms and kicked your legs and cried. Okay, that'd be embarrassing for you. So we do other ways. We, we, we're, we're wiser than that, but we still express the same kind of desire, displeasure. Maybe we give them the silent treatment. Maybe we refuse things from them. 
in order to get our way and to express our anger. Maybe we give them a tongue lashing, let them have it. Maybe we throw things, maybe we hit the wall or hit furniture. We're going to let them know just how angry we are so they give in to our wills. And so there's no quick fix. We're going to start today is by looking at the heart of anger. Okay, what is anger? There's not even agreement on what is anger and what causes it. We're going to look at that today. What's the heart of anger? And we're going to begin looking at overcoming anger. And we're going to really focus on that next week. uh, What it looks like to overcome anger. And then the third week we get together, we're going to look at the destruction of anger. And that's really a, a play on words. Anger is destructive, so we must deal with it. We must also destroy anger. Because you realize that anger, if, if you have, if you know someone or are someone who is angry, what the destruction that it causes to your relationships. And so anger must be destroyed, must be dealt with. This is the third week we're going to look at that topic. So that's where we're going. So this morning we're going to look at what is anger. And we must understand anger because we're going to fight against it. We don't know what it is. Our fight's going to be in vain. We're going to lose. Okay, our efforts are going to be misplaced. Now anger... If you look in the dictionary, commonly defined as this. Okay, what is anger? This is how it's defined in our world today. A strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Okay, so basically anger is an emotion. It's a feeling. So it's a raw feeling. It's a, it's a sense of displeasure, a feeling that comes up, a sense of emotion. And so really, how, how can you control raw feelings? Can you control them? Can you control the way that you feel? Can you switch on your feelings on and off? We realize you can't do that. You feel a certain way. And so how are we going to control our anger? How are we going to uproot our anger if anger is just a raw feeling or emotion? We can't. And so that's why in our world today, we don't have uprooting anger or overcoming anger or destroying anger. We have anger management. Okay? Anger management. You manage your anger. You manage its, its, its release. That Manage those emotions that you can't help. And even, this is a common idea, because even as I heard people discussing this sermon series, I heard them saying that pastor is going to be preaching on anger management. And pastor is not preaching on anger management. Okay? This is like, I wouldn't preach on sin management. Okay? You've got to manage your sin. No! You need to uproot it. You need to get rid of it. And so we're going to be talking about uprooting anger and destroying anger. And so how do we do that if it's just an emotion? How do we control our emotions? Well, we're going to get to that uprooting in just a moment, but we know if anger is defined as simply an emotion, then we have just anger management in order to deal with it. Now, what I mean by anger management? Well, in our world today, the common common remedy to deal with anger is to release your anger, but release it in a way that's not going to destroy or damage. Okay, you can't help your, your raw emotions of displeasure, your hot displeasure. And so you just need to find a way to get rid of that, that, that anger, get rid of that emotion in safe ways. Okay, non-destructive ways. Maybe you've seen a little squishy ball. And you got to squish that squishy ball. Now, when I, when I hear that and when I, you know, people give up these squishy balls, I'm like, really? When I get angry, I gotta, I'm going to squish this ball and it's going to help me? Come on, that's not going to work. And so... They have a squishy ball. Maybe they say, okay, you need, you need to get more energy out than you could through a squishy ball so you should punch a pillow or punch, punch a weight bag. You know, get the boxing gloves on and start, start to hit things. Maybe if you're a woman especially, instead of hitting things, maybe you scream into the pillow. So you get on your bed and you put your face in your pillow and you just scream to get that emotion out. Maybe you kick the couch, you bang the wall, you do something to release that pent-up frustration and rage. 
not seen as anger management. As long as you don't hurt somebody or, or destroy your house, that's not good. But you can, you can hit something, you can scream, you, you let out that emotion. Now, modern parenting techniques even key in on this. And I wanted to share with you an article that Raquel read to me the other day about modern parenting techniques. And, and as I get into this modern parenting techniques, I just have to say, as a, just to begin this, uh, you've heard it before that you know, the, the, the way that children were raised in yesteryear was, was all wrong apparently. Uh, it doesn't work anymore. Kids are different these days. And so we must adjust our parenting techniques as well. And so this particular parenting technique was how to deal with a temper tantrum. Okay, how do you deal with a child who throws temper tantrums? You know, they, they throw on the floor, they wing their hands around, they kick their legs, they scream, they cry. Or perhaps if, if they have brothers and sisters and, and a toy is taken, they go and they, they hit their brother and sister, they bite them, they have this fit of rage. And so how do we, in our modern day, with our modern children, deal with the temper tantrum? And this is what the article was getting at. They recommended this, tantrum management. Um, So tantrum management is this. You have to ask your child, uh, when they're not angry, uh, to pretend that they're throwing a temper tantrum. And so as they pretend to throw a temper tantrum, you give, you give them some guidelines. Okay, Don't, don't wreck anything and don't, don't hurt anybody else. Don't bite anybody. Don't hit your brother and sister. But go ahead and throw your temper tantrum. And so they'll pretend to do a temper tantrum. And when they're done, if they haven't hurt anybody, if they haven't hurt anything else or destroyed anything in the house, then you cheer for them and you reward them with something in order to let them know that they've done a good job. They've, they've released that energy and they haven't hurt anybody. And, and the goal is that as they practice this, when they have a real temper tantrum, they'll have their temper tantrum, but they won't hurt anybody or hurt anything. And so this is um, what's called a modern parenting technique. Now, this technique is not new. There once was a young boy who had anger issues. And, they, and the, the parents actually went and they spoke to a counselor. And they said, look, this, he, is, he is always really... And he gets in a fit of rage. He, begins, he gets on the couch and he's kicking the couch. And they said, well, that's okay. He's releasing that. It's a safe way. Let him continue to kick the couch. But that young boy grew up and he continued to kick the couch and he got married and he'd also beat his wife. He also destroyed their house in fits of rage and now he's in jail. Okay? Doing those kinds of things, releasing your energy is not the way to deal with anger. And it's certainly opposite to the Christian virtue of self-control. We're called to be self-controlled. Not out of control. So this is not the answer. Now, this is not the only prescribed way to handle anger. Maybe you've heard that to deal with your anger, you've got to get to that root issue. You need to forgive yourself. Okay? We hear this a lot. You've got to forgive yourself. What does it mean to forgive yourself? Basically, to forgive yourself means blame somebody else. Okay? You've got to blame somebody else. You've got to forgive yourself because the issue is not really you. It's really, it really was bad parenting. Your father was angry. Or your mother was angry. And, and, they, and they raised you a certain way, and now you're angry. So you've you got to forgive yourself by laying the blame on their shoulders. Or maybe it was a bad teacher. You know, a teacher just, who didn't understand you know, your, your abilities and your talents, didn't understand who you were, and you didn't thrive in that social setting of school. And so it was really their teacher's fault, my education. This is, who, this is who I am. I need to forgive myself. And again, place the blame on somebody else. Or maybe, maybe you're married to a spouse who just... You look back and it wasn't right, wasn't right decision. And so someone says, well, you need, you need to separate, you need a divorce because they're the ones who are making you angry. And so if you divorce from them, if you get out of that relationship, you won't be angry anymore. Okay? 
Now, we realize that circumstances do play a part in the way that we act, but circumstances are not going to change your anger. Okay, I have a lot of people who say, you know, I had kids. I didn't, I didn't realize I'd, be, I'd become such an angry person when I had kids. You always were angry. You always had it in your heart, but now the kids are just drawing that out of you, what is already there. And so forgiving yourself or blame shifting is not going to deal with our anger. We know this, that circumstances aren't going to determine a person's level of anger because we, we, we can know that if you have one person driving on the road and this is a common example, you drive on the road and a car passes in front of you and, and they come in front of you and they, for some reason they decide to slow down slower than where you were going and you're like, what's going on now some people in that situation just go okay you know and they they go around or they'll, they'll slow down themselves and other people they're in a fit of rage how dare he and then you have hand gestures and yelling in the window and the dashboard trying to let them know just how angry you are with what they've just done and so same circumstance we can have different results we know some people you probably know some people around you that have just terrible parents that their parents were very abusive, very angry, and they're not angry. Okay, so parenting or your nurture, your circumstance does not determine your reaction. It can influence, okay, but it does not determine your action. So what is the heart of anger then? If it's not circumstance, if it's not just this raw emotion that's uncontrollable, you can only just release it in controllable ways. What is the heart of anger? What I want to show you today is that Anger is an issue of the heart, okay? It's, it's not just simply an emotion. It's an issue of your whole belief system, your whole desire, the things that you value. Primarily, anger is a judgment. It's a judgment, okay? It's a matter of, of love. It reveals what you love the most. And I want to show you that in the scriptures here in just a minute. But Robert Jones, I want to read his definition of anger. He's written a book called Uprooting Anger. And he says this, our anger is our whole personed active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Okay, he's got a lot in there and those words are all important. He says, our anger is our whole person. Okay, it's not just emotion. It involves your will, volition, and it involves your whole body and physically. Our anger is a whole person. It's an active response. It's something that we do. It's an active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Okay, it's a, that's wrong. That's not fair. And then up comes the anger. Okay, so it's a, what's important to see about this, and we're going to unpack this as we go through, that anger is something that you do. Okay, anger is something that you do. It's not something that you have. It's not someone who you are. Anger is something that you do. It's an active response involving your beliefs, your behavior, feelings, actions, desires, arriving from our value system. Okay, Anger is going to tell you your desires and your motivations, the things that you love the most. And you might not even know you're loving them, but your anger is going to tell you so much about who you are and what you see as evil or good or unjust or unfair or what's painful. Okay? When we want something badly and we can't get it, we get angry. If we love something and it's taken away or harmed, we get angry. Okay? These are the occasions of our anger. I want to share you a story about 
King Herod. King Herod was the king at the time when Jesus was born, king of Judea. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, King Herod, when he, we, he's the wise member coming through and he says, you know, these wise men, as you go and find this young king, come back and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him. You know, but that's what we had in mind. He wanted to kill this threat to his throne. And so the wise men heard about this and they went back home a different way. They didn't come back to speak to Herod. And so he got in a fit of rage. And he said, fine, you're going to do it that way. Kill every child, every boy, two years and younger from the city of Bethlehem. Carry that out. In a fit of rage, he made that order. And there was great wailing in Bethlehem as the children were slaughtered at his command. Now, if you were to ask Herod, why are you so angry? He would have said, well, because a king was born. Okay? And that's not the reason he got angry. That was the occasion. But the reason why he got angry is because he loved his own glory. He loved his own kingship. And anything that would threaten his great love of himself and of his rule, he was going to get angry at and deal with. And so that just occasion, Jesus didn't make him angry. The birth of Jesus didn't make him angry, but rather his own heart that loved himself and who wanted his own kingship at any cost with no competition was the reason for his anger. Now I want to show you this from scripture. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of our young men in the back will get you one. We'll go to James chapter 4. And if you have a Bible like mine from the church, it's page 1012. Okay, 1012, James chapter 4. Okay, so I want, I want to demonstrate that the heart of anger is really revealing your desires, your beliefs, your value system. And if something is denied, delayed, or taken away, it causes us to be angry. So James 4, I'll read the first three verses. He says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Okay, what's the cause of quarrels and cause of fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Okay, so... The Bible here is telling us what the root cause of anger. It starts with our own passions, our own desires. Okay, it's not your circumstance. It's your own passions and your own desires. When you desire something you cannot have or it's taken away or there's conflict between what you want and you receiving it or you having it. Anger, quarrels, jealousy, fights, murder. Okay, now he's writing here to a Christian congregation. When he says that these desires, you know, you desire what you do not have, so you murder. I don't think he's talking about physical murder. You know, in a Christian congregation, you're not going to have people knocking each other off, you know, because they're getting in fights. But it's referring back to Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus says, if you hate a brother, 
If you have hatred towards a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. That's how serious hatred is. And so the, the anger between people in this congregation were such that he says you're murdering one another in your hearts. You have anger towards one another, hatred toward one another because of your desires. Because you don't have what you desire, and so you hate, you're angry, you're murderous in mind. And that's the heart, that's the source of hatred, these desires, these passions that wage war within our own souls. Okay, so when, I, when I'm talking about the heart, how the root of anger is the heart. What the Bible means by that is, is not just that organ that's pumping blood in your chest. I mean by the heart is the control center of your life. It includes your your will, your emotions, your belief system, your values, okay, your passions, your desires, all of that. The control center of your life is what the Bible calls the heart. And our actions flow from our heart. What we say flows from the heart, not from the outside, our circumstances. It's not, it's not that we're bad people and, and we do bad things because we're in, we have a bad circumstance around us. No. Rather, it's from the heart that hatred and anger come. Mark 7, 20, 23. I want to read this to you. You don't need to turn there. But I want to read this passage from Mark 7 where Jesus says this. Jesus says, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile the person. So Jesus said, it's from our heart. It's not from our circumstances. It's from within that these fits of rage come. Luke six forty three. Jesus also says this. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit. Okay, image of a tree with good fruit on it. Okay, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a, a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Okay, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Anger reveals what's in the heart. Just like a tree. You know, you're not going to have these, you're not going to find grapes on an apple tree or vice versa. You're not going to find evil coming from a good tree or good coming from an evil tree. What comes out of our lips, what comes out of our actions, the things that we do, comes from our heart, the inner man, the inner person. It's from the abundance of the heart as most people. Look what Jesus says. He says, a good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. An evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. The things that we treasure are going to dictate our responses. Okay, so we're going back to James 4. Again, what causes fights and quarrels and anger among them? Well, it's their cravings, their lust, their desires that are not obtained. They're denied. They want something and they can't have it. Or they love something that's been taken away. So why is this so significant? Well, anger at its root. 
are things that we love, things that we desire, things that we crave, things we lust after. And when they're denied, delayed, or taken away, it evokes within us anger. We say, that's not right. That's not fair. We have an attitude of judgment. That's wicked. That's evil. You shouldn't do that to me. That's wrong. And again, it wells up anger in our hearts because we're making a judgment against something that is not right. If we love something who cannot get it, then we get angry. So anger reveals our desires. And hopefully you can, you can see how anger reveals our desires. Now when we get angry, what we must do is understand why. Understand what is the desire in our heart that's producing that anger. What is it that I'm loving? What is it that I'm wanting? You know, as, as, as parents, you have young kids, and you get angry at your kids. And it's so easy for us to say, well, it's their fault. They're disobeying. Well, what is it that you're wanting? You're wanting their obedience. You're wanting them to listen to you. You're wanting to assert control. Those are the things that are causing you to be angry. K- kids are going to be kids. But it's our own desires that so often produce or will produce that anger. Now, these desires are not necessarily wicked desires. It's not that you're, if you're angry, it's because you're desiring something that's wicked or evil and you just gotta, you gotta cut that out. When we're angry, so often, we're desiring good things. But those desire for good things become so much so that we must have them. Those good things become treasures in our life. For instance, like the obedience of children. You want them to sit there and be well-disciplined and sit quietly because you want a conversation with another adult because you don't get those too often. But when the kids act up and you don't have what your heart wants, boy, those kids are going to get it on the way home because they denied me of what I wanted. That was a good desire to have a conversation with another adult. It's a good desire to have obedient children. But when we make that desire so great that when it's denied us, Now we're going to explode in anger because they have denied what we're loving. And our love in that case is so much greater for their obedience so I can have this conversation than it perhaps is for our children or for the Lord. But it's a good desire. Perhaps you have a good desire to do good on a test in school. And this is your desire to do do good, to do a good mark. You put in lots of work and then they put these questions on there that you weren't expecting and now you didn't get a good mark and now you have, you're tempted to be angry, angry at the teacher for, for doing that. You wanted to get good on this test. So it's a good thing to want to do good. But even that good desire, if it becomes disproportionate, can be a cause for anger. Perhaps you're desiring to get to work on time. You have an important meeting. And so you leave early because you know how important it is to get to work on time. And then you hit construction. Then there's an accident. You walk in late and your boss gives you a scolding. Anger! You know, it was a good thing to want to be there on time. But that was denied you. And so we respond in anger. So in each of these cases, we can have desires for good things. But these desires are really the root cause of our anger. Okay, so what can we learn from this? To learn and and to consider what makes us angry. When When we have bout of anger and we feel ourselves frustrated or angry or annoyed we must 
consider what we're desiring that's being denied, that's being taken away, that's being damaged or destroyed. And we must note those things. And then once we recognize those desires, we can begin to, to work on them, to uproot them, to take those treasures in our life that are so great, causing us to be angry, and to put them in their proper place. Okay? Now, the next, next week's sermon, we're going to be talking more about this, how to, how to overcome anger, how to deal with these desires. But what I want to do is, is get a, a, a little bit into that so we just don't have a sermon on what is anger, but we actually talk a bit about overcoming it here this morning. So we're going to talk about this briefly. But what I want you to do on the, on the back table, maybe some of you have this already, there's a piece of paper called overcoming anger. Okay, And on here, this is a chart that acts like a written journal to record episodes of anger, conflict, depression, annoyance, grievances over this coming week. Okay, there's three columns. Situation, who, what, where, when, what happened? What was going on? What was the situation, the circumstance? Write it down. Now, I don't, I don't mean to say you're in a fit of rage and it's like, wait, honey, where's the pen? I need to write this down. No, it's not going to work, okay? But when you've, when you've had an opportunity, okay, you've had this fit of rage, and now you're again in your right mind, okay? You're not acting like a fool. Because when someone's angry, they're acting like a fool. When you're in your right mind, you go to this piece of paper. What, what was the situation? What was the circumstance? The second column is what is your behavior? What did you do? Did you, did you go, to the, go to the door and slam the door? And if the door was already shut, did you open it and slam it? You know? Is that what you did? What was your behavior? You write that, 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 that down. And then the third column is what are your thoughts and desires? What was it that you were wanting, that you were craving, that you were lusting after? What was it that was taken away from you? Okay, this is, this is the column that we so often don't think about when we think about anger. Okay, but it's so important to note this down. And so this week, I encourage you, even if you don't think you're an angry person, grab one of these. Um, and when you're frustrated, annoyed, write this down. And I also encourage you to share that uh, with other godly individual here from the congregation, share it with me, and we can walk through some of these things and see, are you on the right track here in terms of filling this stuff out? Okay? This is going to be helpful to expose our desires behind our anger and to see how it's related directly to our heart and its passions and its lust. We need to find out what's causing anger. We need to find out what, what you love the most before we can begin to deal with it. It might be love of money. Maybe you're filling out this sheet and you and you notice that your desires are for money because anytime your spouse, you know, spends too much on they they brought home a shopping bag and how much did that cost? And then really? You know, you're angry and so what is it? Is it love of money? Is that what you're desiring to try to save our money for something? Is what is it that you're loving? Maybe that's gonna be exposed. Maybe it's your love of control. You know, you have all these plans. You know, you go to work and it's like, okay, it's a Friday I'm going to leave here at four. I'm going to be home and then I'm going to take the wife and kids. We're going to go here. It's all set. Then your boss walks into your office at like 3.35 and, well, here, I got this one extra piece. Can you stay an hour later? I had those plans. And so your desire is for, for control and you had these plans that you, that you wanted to make sure they were done. So perhaps, perhaps it's a love of yourself. Perhaps your episodes of anger um, or annoyance are when somebody shames you or snubs you. Oh, I can't believe they didn't return my phone call. I can't believe they, they walked past me and didn't say hello. Hmm. 
You know, that's it's not visible rage, but it's an annoyance. And so the problem there, the root desire is I want attention. I want people to notice me. I, I love myself and I want others to love me too. Okay? That's the, the heart of it. And so we must understand your anger, understand those annoyances in order to root them out. The things that you love, if they're jeopardized, they will make you angry. Okay? Angry anger is going to reveal what you love. Okay, we know this. If someone wants to do something to your spouse, okay, physically harm your spouse, especially you men, someone wants to do that to your wife, mm, you're going to get angry. And you should. If you're not angry when someone hurts your wife, you know, where's your love? We, we said the love and anger, they go together. The same thing, every, every area of life where you get angry, it's revealing the things that you love, things that you crave and you desire. Okay, so like I said, we're going we're gonna to deal with this more next week, but there's three things here I want to mention about dealing with anger. Okay, three things this morning. We'll elaborate in more detail next week. Three things. First, the idea is to not neuter our emotion. Okay, this, the idea is not to have a stoicism where no matter what happens, and not angry, you know, not going to show any emotion. That, that's not the idea, just to have an external appearance of calmness when the, our heart is raging. Okay, that is not how we're going to uproot our anger. Emotions are not bad. God is a God of emotion. Anger is not bad. God is a God of anger. Yeah. Most, most of the occurrence of anger in the scripture is God being angry. But if you remember about what anger is, it's a, it's a whole person active response against a, a negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Okay, God's anger is just, it's righteous because he has a perfect perception of what is evil. And when he sees evil, he says that is bad and he's angered by it. His anger is righteous. He has anger. It's a, it's a judgment, a proper judgment. Now, the problem in our case is so often our perception of what is evil is centered around us and our desires. And so we get angry because somebody hurt us. Okay, and you think about when, when Jesus got angry in the scriptures. Jesus got angry. When he got angry, he got angry whenever the Pharisees were either um, blaspheming God. Okay, whenever there was a real sense of God's name being taken through the trash because of these false teachers, Jesus got angry. But it was a righteous anger. Okay, anger is not bad. But, but I think 99% of our anger is probably unrighteous anger. Okay? But Jesus demonstrated righteous anger. But look at what Jesus did whenever they were persecuting him and shaming him and scoring him. Did he get angry? No. He entrusted himself to God. It wasn't about him. It was about the Father. Okay? So the idea here is not to neuter our emotion, but rather it's to make sure that our anger, when we have anger, it's a righteous anger. And that it's expressed in ways that are self-controlled and not sinful. Okay, so that's the first thing. We're not just trying to remove any kind of emotion. Second thing, the idea, I mentioned this earlier, the idea is not to manage our anger, but to uproot it, to destroy it, to remove that, that, that sinful anger, that unrighteous anger. We need to identify those ruling desires that we have in our heart and repent of them, forsake them. We own it, confess it. Yeah, that is my desire. That's what I'm craving. And it's wrong for me to do that. I need to to own that desire, to confess it to God, to ask for forgiveness, and to ask for his transforming grace to change me. Who can change your heart? Only God. 
We must confess our sin, repent, and ask God for that transforming grace to change us. And again, more next week. The third thing about dealing with anger is anger cannot be defeated unless you're a follower of God and Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Anger cannot be truly defeated unless you're a follower of God and Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why do I say this? For one, Jesus' death is a death to forgive sins. Not only that, to break the power of sin. So we're no longer enslaved to sin, the passions of our flesh that we're born with. Jesus' death accomplishes that. And not only do you need to be a follower of Christ to deal with your anger, you need to be a follower of Christ to deal with your anger in the sense that it must be forgiven. If we die in our sin, our sin of anger, you know, and say we experience some level of moral reform, it doesn't matter. We're still sinners before God. He's still going to judge us. He's still going to condemn us because we're, we're dead in our sin. Okay, I want, you, I want to turn to one more passage. So it's close to James, 1 Peter. You just turn a little bit to the right. First uh, Peter chapter 2. Verses 19 to 25. And I want to show these things why it's so important to be a follower of Jesus Christ in order to deal with our anger. 1 Peter 2, 19 to 25. Okay, we'll, we'll end here this morning. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Okay, not to get angry, but to rather endure while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because... Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Okay. Now, what does this text have to do with anger? Much before, some, someone snubs you in a social setting. You get anger. Someone doesn't return your email or return your phone call right away. Angry. Now, consider Christ. He's on the cross. People pass by wagging their heads, mocking and scoffing and scorning. You great prophet, why don't you come down from there? Call your angels, take him off the cross. You're nothing. You're nobody. You're dead. You're defeated. Blasphemer. And as he revealed this mocking and scorn as he's being crucified after being beaten and tormented the night before, what does he do? Does he revile in return? No. He entrusts himself to God, the one who judges justly. So how can we deal with it whenever we are treated unjustly? Whenever we have this sense of that's not right, that's not fair. 
We're so often wanting to respond in anger. But being a follower of Jesus Christ, he's laid for us an example of one who committed himself to God, entrusted himself to God, and that God is going to judge justly so he doesn't need to take out wrath and vengeance and retribution on his executioners. And neither do we. Because we're entrusting ourselves to God, the one who is going to judge and make all things right. So really, to uproot anger, it's only possible with that entrusting ourselves to God because there are things going to be happening that are not going to be right, are not going to be fair. And like verse 19 and verse 23, we need to be mindful of God, entrusting ourselves to Him who judges justly. We started this morning, we were talking about a baby throwing temper tantrums. If you think about that again, about an infant, now if an infant could entrust themselves to their parents completely, such that they knew, mom and dad, they're going to feed me, they're going to give me my milk when I need it. They're going to withhold things from me because it might be dangerous for me to have that, you know. I'd really love to have some quarters and suck on them and eat them, but mom and dad know that's not right. Okay, so I'm not going to give that to you. Mom and dad are going to change me. They're going to, they're going to lay me down to sleep when I, when I need sleep. Now, if a child entrusted themselves to their parents, would they throw those tantrums? Would they be angry? Would they have fits of rage? No. And as a Christian, we entrust ourselves to God, who is all wise and all-powerful, and all-knowing, and loves us in such a way that He sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us to meet our greatest need of forgiveness of sins. How can we, we not entrust ourselves to Him? What, what a cure for anger, and for annoyance and grievances, to realize the care that God gives to us. And as I mentioned, we need Christ's death to forgive us of our anger. Part of our remedy to overcome anger is to confess it and to repent of it. And we're only going to have forgiveness of our anger through the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a Christian is not reforming your life morally, not just being a better person. That's moralism. That's not Christianity. Christianity is you're a sinner. You're dead in your sin. There's nothing you can do to commend yourself to God. There's no amount of moral form that you can achieve that God says, wow, great job. Come on in here. No. We can't. We're wicked. We're vile. And God loves us not by sending us a 12-step program so we can try to reform ourselves. He loved us by sending His Son to die in our place. So our sins are can be placed on his shoulders and his righteousness, the man who knew no sin, neither was his seed or guile in his mouth, his righteousness was given to us in that great exchange on the cross. And we come to that, we enter in on that by trusting God and trusting our Lord Jesus Christ and turning from our sin, asking for his forgiveness. We must do that if we're going to overcome anger. We must do that to overcome our own sin so we will not perish in our sin. We'll talk about this more next week. Let's pray.